Thanks, Pastor Jason, and thank you to the music team and uh, those working behind the scenes, IT and, and others. Uh, and, uh, oh yeah, I, thanks for the intro. <laughs> uh, so, I just want to just extend a, a thank you. Uh, it's always a privilege to open the Word together here in, in what my family considers our home, our home church, our home congregation. Uh, I was asked a little while ago, uh, about 10 days ago, I was asked, why, why do you follow Jesus? And um, I, had, I had all sorts of responses that I, you know, on paper that I would probably respond to. But, but in the end, my response is actually because, uh, because of you folks. Uh, I found belonging here when I was uh, a youth age. And there was something so pleasing about being here. There's something that I saw in you folks that I wanted for myself. And so in many cases, or in many, for many reasons, that's why I decided to, to follow Jesus. And so keep, keep on doing good, because I, I know that there's others uh, who are, come through these doors who see the way that, the way that we live. And so just uh, thank you for that. Uh, the text this morning is from Acts chapter 4. Uh, before we look at it, it's, uh, we'll just take kind of a big picture of the book of Acts. Acts is written in the New Testament. That means it was written after the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Acts is written by a man called Luke. And if Luke sounds familiar, that's because just a little bit before Acts, there's a book called Luke. And that book is also written by, by Luke. Uh, Luke was not a disciple of Jesus, but he was uh, an investigator, a researcher, and he diligently uh, researched the life of Jesus by, by asking questions of those who lived with Jesus. And he put together the book of Luke. And then after the book of Luke, he also continued to write uh, the book of Acts. So you can kind of think of it as the book of Luke is, is part one, the life of Jesus, and the book of Acts is part two, the life of the early church. So Acts chapter 4 takes place as, as soon as three months after Jesus was crucified. Uh, perhaps a little bit longer, but, but around, that, around that time. And in the chapter just before Acts 4, there's an important event that I'll kind of, kind of summarize a little bit. Oh, I forgot one thing. I'll say this quickly. If you have little kids here, and they're making noise, just let them make noise. Uh, so when we had little kids, we still have some little kids. It feels like any time they sneeze or cough or drop a toy or eat crackers, everyone can hear you. But I don't think that's true. And it's better by far to have kids with us than not to have kids. So if you're a parent, just, just let them make noise. Anyways, back to Acts 4. So... Acts chapter 3 records Peter and John, and they're on their way to the temple to pray. And on their way to the temple, they encounter a lame man, a paralyzed man who's begging for money. And he's been paralyzed his entire life. And so he's been, he's been brought to this part of, uh, near the temple for decades to beg for money. And as Peter and John come by, he asks them for money. And Peter says to, the, says to the man, I don't have any money for you, but get up and walk. And instantly the man is healed and he gets up and he jumps and it's quite a commotion. Uh, the text says that this man has been paralyzed for 40 years. 
And, and the other people who are at the temple in that area, they see the man and they see him uh, walking and, and, and there's an opportunity that Peter has to preach and to share the good news of Jesus. And so all the people are gathered around and he's sharing about Jesus. And the miracle that just happened causes them to, to believe. It gives credibility to Peter's message. The text says that after that, after that event, that the believers in, are numbered over 5,000. So probably hundreds came to faith at that, uh, during that event. But also what happened is that the religious leaders and the, the temple priests, they saw what was happening and they, they grew angry. You see, they really hoped that the death of Jesus was going to be the death of this, this movement. But of course, they never uh, anticipated that Jesus would rise from the dead. And so they, they arrest Peter and John, they put them in prison, they interrogate them, they question them, and they ask, by whose name are you doing these things? And again, it's another opportunity for them to bear witness and to point to Jesus. And uh, the, this imprisonment, the, or the, the temple priests and the religious leaders, they actually would like to put them to death. But they can't. They're, they're a little bit afraid because of the so many people that are now following Jesus. That, that if they put them to death, they're wondering if there will be a, re, a riot or rebellion or something that happens. And so, they don't put them to death. Instead, they command them to stop preaching, and they release them. Their hope is that they will be so afraid that uh, they'll be imprisoned or arrested again that they're going to stop proclaiming the name of Jesus. And this brings us to our text, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 23. I'll read through it once, and then we'll work through it uh, together. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do what your hand and plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So the text begins that says that when they were released, they went back to their own people. And I, I, was, I was thinking about this, and if I was a leader in this kind of, uh, in the early church, or if I was a, a leader at a, at a new movement, and I had just been arrested and beaten up and, and threatened with death, possibly, Probably the first thing that I would have, wouldn't do, I wouldn't go back to the other people and say, hey, I just got arrested and beaten up and threatened for, for living this way. I, I might want to keep that secret because I might, I might be afraid that the other people might question, is this something that I really want to be a part of? 
But they don't do that. They actually go and they tell the people all that the priests and the elders had, had threatened them with and commanded them with. And then they respond in a very important way. They respond in prayer. And the beginning of their prayer says this. Uh, or, and when they prayed, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. It's really quite, uh, I think, really fascinating. So, so these men were just arrested, threatened, probably threatened with death. They returned to their people and they share what happened. And the people's first response isn't complaining. It isn't griping. It isn't a protest. It isn't a petition. But it's actually to go to God in prayer. Something else that's very distinctive about this is that these two people, Peter and John, just months earlier uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter, he, he draws a sword to attack and kill one of the people who are trying to arrest Jesus. He only ends up cutting off his ear, but as Pastor Garth pointed out a few weeks ago, that we can be sure Peter wasn't aiming for his ear. Or, or John. John is a really zealous guy. He's, one of his nicknames is son, a son of thunder. Luke records in his, in his gospel, in the gospel of Luke, there's a time when they leave a city, the city rejected Jesus, rejected the message, and John, John and his brother James, they ask Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to destroy these people? And these two men, after an encounter with the risen Lord, they're, they've left their violence behind them, and now their first response is to pray. And in their prayer, they don't begin with asking God for, for, for protection. They don't begin by asking God for safety. They don't begin by asking God that their enemies would be silenced. But they begin with a, an acknowledgement of the power and sovereignty of the God that they serve, the creator of the heavens and the earth and everything in them. They continue, and they say, Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, by the Holy Spirit, said, Why do the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the, set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. So in their prayer, they're quoting from a psalm. They're quoting from Psalm chapter 2. And last year, around this, time, around this time of the year, Gary and Andrea, they, they walked us through the Psalms. And they said that the book of Psalms is kind of like our hymn books here. It's filled with prayers and songs that the Israelites would use on special occasions. In the same way that in our hymn books, we sing certain songs at Christmas or at Easter or at baptisms. We sing certain songs at weddings and at funerals. The book of Psalms is like a hymn book for Israel. And so Psalm chapter 2 is called a royal psalm. It's a psalm that the people would pray over the king when a new king would be uh, ordained or a new king would be consecrated. They would sing or they would praise this, or pray this song for the king. And in this psalm, it talks about the king being God's anointed one. Or God's servant on earth. 
And in this psalm, it talks about that even though the nations of the earth and the kings of the earth will uh, gather together and, and, and fight against God's servants, God just laughs. Because compared to his power, they are nothing. And in this psalm, it also talks about God giving uh, total authority to this king. And that there's a warning in here to the kings of the earth and the rulers of the earth. That actually your, their, your only hope is not to uh, uh, gather against my servant, but rather to, to serve him with fear. And that at the end of this psalm, there's an invitation that says, Blessed are those who take refuge in him. Now, unfortunately for Israel, or, or, yeah, unfortunately for Israel, all their kings, all their kings struggled with something that all of us struggle with. They all struggled with sin. Each of their kings, the good ones and the bad ones. None of them actually were the fulfillment. None of them could actually do all of the things in that psalm. Each of them sinned. Each of them was fallen. Each of them was broken. Until God became flesh in the person of Jesus. Until Jesus Christ came to earth and now there was one who could actually be that servant. Could be that Messiah. Could be that king. The one that was promised long ago. And so the disciples here, they, they pray this psalm in recognition of Jesus. In recognition that, that actually Jesus is God's king. That Jesus is God's servant on earth. That Jesus is Messiah. And that compared to all of the forces and all of the powers on earth, all of the rulers and all of the nations, Jesus' power is supreme. They continue their prayer and they say, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Again, they're, they're recalling, they're remembering that just a few short months ago, uh, Jesus was put to death. That he was condemned not just by the Romans, not just those outside of Israel, but he was even put to death and condemned by his own people. But in, in verse 28, the, the, the believers here, they acknowledge that actually it wasn't by the power of the, the enemy, it wasn't by the power of the rulers of the kings of the earth that Jesus died. But it was because God had pre, predestined, God had decided that this was going to happen. See, Jesus was, came to earth, God came to earth knowing that he was going to sacrifice himself. And the believers remember that in prayer here. And then they continue and they say, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. This is the first time in their prayer where they have any mention about their situation. And, and they're not asking God to deliver them to safety. They're not asking God to... Uh, to prevent future arrests or to prevent future threats against them. In fact, in the book of Acts, if you read through it, there's lots of violence against the church, lots of violence against the believers. Lots are put to death, lots are arrested. 
And they're not praying to be delivered from that. Rather, they're praying that God would just be aware of their situation. You see, for them, their faith in this one God, the God who is the creator of the heavens and the earth and all that is in them, their faith in Jesus, the one true sovereign Savior King, was enough. It was enough that God was aware of their situation. And then they continue to say, or they continue to pray, and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And this is also actually a little bit, I don't know about humorous, but maybe ironic. Because the very reason that Peter and John were arrested in the first place was because of their boldness. It was because of their boldness to point to Jesus. It was because of their boldness to give testimony that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of the world that got them arrested. They get arrested, they get threatened, they're released, and their prayer, their first request, or I guess this is their second request, is give us boldness. Boldness to continue to speak your word. They continue and they say, stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. This has been a been a kind of a, an interesting or maybe even controversial thing for believers. And I know people who, who, who will say that, well, this should still be happening. And, and there's people who say, well, this is just a time for, for then. And, and one thing I think that we should keep or be aware of is the type of book that Acts is. See, in each of our houses, I'm sure that some of us have have books. Some of us have maybe fiction novels. Some of us maybe have biographies or histories. Some of us have how-to manuals or cookbooks. And you read each of those things differently. You don't read a, a novel the same way that you read a cookbook. And you don't read a cookbook the same way that you read a biography. You read them differently. And so I, I really believe that the primary function of the book of Acts is to describe what happened. It's not necessarily to instruct us on how to, to operate, but to describe what happened. And one of the things that happened quite frequently in the book of Acts is there were quite a significant miracles that happened. And these miracles gave credibility to the message of Jesus. There was people in Jerusalem from all over the world. They had come uh, during the Passover when Jesus was crucified. And they had come just a few weeks earlier for another big festival called Pentecost. And as these people were gathered, these Jews from all over the world, they had never heard the name of Jesus. They didn't know who he was. And so when the message was preached by, by disciples and apostles, then when it was accompanied by miracles, it really gave authority and credibility to the message. The text continues to say, And when they had prayed, Oh, <clears throat> yeah. And when they had prayed, the place in where they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word with boldness. And again, again, book of Acts is, is primarily describing the events which took place. And if we read through the remainder of Acts and the, and the rest of the New Testament, there's actually, there's actually very little of this type of thing happening again, where when they pray, the place was shaken. 
But for these, for the believers who are gathered here, and these are primarily, uh, or it, they're primarily Jewish believers. They had come from the, the old system of Jude, Judaism, and now they're followers of Jesus. The shaking of the place was quite significant. You see, all throughout the Old Testament, this type of shaking was, was often happened in the presence of God. The book of Psalms, again, often says that in the presence of God, the earth shakes or the earth quakes. The prophet Nahum talks about in the presence of God, the earth quakes or trembles. Or perhaps Isaiah's vision of the throne room when he's before the throne, before the throne of God, and, and the angel, there's angels there praising and worshiping God, and, and in the presence of God, the, the foundations of the temple shake. Or perhaps they're reminded of, of the time in their history in Exodus 19, after God had brought them out of the land of Egypt and, and brought them through the wilderness, and they're standing before the mountain of God. And before they receive the commandments, God descends upon the mountain. And Exodus 19 says that, and there was lightning and thunder and the whole mountain trembled. In the presence of God, there was shaking and earthquakes and, and, and these types of things. And so what, what I believe is happening here is that the place is shaken and the people are reminded that God is present with them. It's like God affirming them that, yes, I hear your prayers, and I am with you. I am present among you. And as I was preparing for this, I was thinking, you know, I've been to a lot of really amazing, like, worship times and prayer meetings, and nothing like this has ever happened to any of those that I've been at. But I was, I was reminded of this time that I was uh, so aware of God's presence that it was... I felt like almost like trembling. And I was, I was a young camp worker working at a, a Gimli Bible camp. And there was this, this young camper. And after one, uh, he'd been in my cabin for a couple of years now. And after one of the uh, chapel services, he, he stayed back and he, something, something affected him. And he, he really said that, you know what, I, I think I want to live for Jesus. I think, I think I want to follow Jesus. And so we, we talked about that, and, and he made a commitment to follow Jesus, to give his life to Jesus. And I thought, man, this guy needs a Bible. His name is Ryan. I, Ryan, Ryan needs a Bible. And I, I had this idea, like, oh, I could get this Bible, and, you know, I, I'll write some blessing in the front of it and date it and those types of things and give it to him and, and so at the back of the chapel, there's this big cardboard box, like, like a huge one. You know the ones that you see that have like watermelon in them at Superstore or, or fruit? Just, just a huge box like that, and it was filled with Bibles and hymn books and all sorts of stuff that people donated to camp. And as I was, I was searching through that, this box, looking for a Bible that, that this young guy could read and one that wasn't falling apart, I, I found this one kind of under some Bibles, and I took it. And I was going to write in it. And you know that page some of you have in your Bibles, this Bible is presented to? Opened it up to that page, and his name was already there. His first and his last name. And in that moment, I was overwhelmed. Overwhelmed at the presence of God. Knowing that he was there present. 
And my, my friend Ryan, he, he, was, he was surprised, but not really surprised. He said, yeah, of course God wants me to have a Bible if I'm going to follow him. He took it and he ran out to show someone else or something, I don't know. But I was left in that chapel there, just standing in awe, overwhelmed at God's presence. And I think also, I just uh, actually just uh, a week and a half ago, we dropped, uh, we dropped one of our sons off at youth here, and I, I went across the street. I brought my hammock. I was going to find some trees in the park over there. And I was, I was approached by two, by two men, finely dressed, and they told me they were missionaries. And then they asked me what I believed, and then they proceeded to try and convince me for the next hour and a half or so that Jesus isn't God, and that the Bible is not trustworthy. That, that there needs to be other stuff. And I, I interacted with them for, for a while. And, and, and then I saw them, after they departed from me, I saw them go and approach other people. And I, I can only assume that they're doing this constantly, all throughout Steinbeck. And so some people wonder, they, they, they think about, well, what? Uh, this boldness that we're talking about, about sharing truth. Some of us think that, well, we're never really in those situations where we'll be, need to proclaim truth. But I think that's not true. I think even here in Steinbeck, that's not true. And so my prayer for us as a congregation is that we would be bold, that we'd be bold to share when we're given opportunity of why we follow Jesus. Not bold to be bullies, not bold to be oppressors, but bold like the followers here. That even in the face of, of, of danger and even in the face of threats, that they were willing to share why they followed Jesus. And so I, I, was, I was like, oh yeah, I have to add some type of homework component here, because I always do. And I think my homework thing is always the same. And this text actually really, uh, really also will uh, cause me to say the same thing I always say. Why do you follow Jesus? Think back, think back to when you decided to follow Jesus. Why do you follow Jesus? And I really, I would encourage you to practice sharing that with your family or with people who are safe. That way, the next time you're hammocking on Main Street or wherever, and you're approached by people who, who would say that the Bible isn't true, and they ask to give a reason why you think Jesus is God, then you will be able to share with them why you follow Jesus. Dear God, we thank you for your love and your grace. You are the maker of the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in it. We serve you because you are our King, eternal and good. And I pray that you would give us courage to be bold, courage to share why we follow you, why we believe in your name. And I pray also that you be aware of the threats that face your people. Be aware of how the, the culture and the society rejects truth. Give us confidence to know that you're with us. Amen.